Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We are on chapter one of Shmot. If I am correct, which I am about half the time, uh, we read the Pasuk verse 11, but not the Rashi yet, right? We started breaking down the verse, but not the Rashi. So unless someone shouts at me that I'm wrong, I th- that's, that's what I'm going to go with. So um, to remind you, the verse itself, chapter 1, verse 11, right after um, the, the Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt, expresses concern, lest the, the people grow, wage war against us, and depending on how you read the pshat, either they will force us to leave the land, right, they'll dispossess us, or... They will leave our land and our economy will suffer, something like that. The response to that is verse 11. We read this last week. They placed upon it, and that singular it's going to continue to be significant uh, in the Rashi. They, the Egyptians, we presume, placed upon it the nation of Israel, a singular nation. Officers or leaders of Misim, perhaps. And we discussed last week how in modern Hebrew, Mas has to do with the word um, tax, uh, but Leonard was also telling us that an, an earlier form of the word um, was was less related to tax than we think of. Why? Laman, in order to anoto, to oppress it, halachma'anya, to afflict it, besivlotam, with their sufferings. And we discussed, and Rashi will play with it a bit, how to handle the the it and the there. Who, who's suffering? Normally we would think their suffering would be the Israelite suffering. In order to mm-hmm. oppress it with their own suffering, hard to know. But the, the person changes it and there. Vayivain, and then singular, it built. Arei miskanot, cities of miskanot. And we left it mostly untranslated. It probably doesn't mean like the modern Hebrew miskain, like poor one. Um, but we'll go into that in the Rashi. Lefaro for Pharaoh. Et Pitom Viet Ramses. And now what we seem to have are the names of these cities they built, Pitom and Ramses. That's where we were. We had named some of the problems in the verse or interesting points of the verse, Alav versus um, Alehem, uh, Sivlotam versus um, uh, Sivlo, um, and also what the word Miskanot means. Does anyone want to raise any other questions before we go into the Rashi that I didn't just re- uh, encapsulate? Yes, Elon. Not, not a question, just a comment. It's, it's re- refreshing to note that the ancients felt uh, as badly about tax as we do today. <laughs> right. Um, that it's a burden. So it's good to th- see that things haven't changed in 3,000 years. Um, it's a... It's a um, it's an oppressive burden. Uh, Larry, if you can reach out to, to um, Alan Brody, because he just mentioned in the WhatsApp group text that he also can't get in. If, you're, if you've been able to help Barry, can you help um, um, Alan as well? Great. Any other things you want to raise on the verse before we ask Marshall, please? Marshall, uh, you translated the word Sivotum as sufferings, and yet Alter translates it as burden. And you think of the word Sabal, who is a porter, who carries a burden. Yeah. We, we, we spent a little bit of time this last week. Sabal, Samech Bet Lamed is a great root because it, it, in English, we 
separate out the negative and the normative notions of burden. So to tolerate something in English or to endure something is usually a sign of strength. To suffer something is a sign of misery. In Hebrew, both are built into that root. It reminds me, uh, I may have shared this before because I sometimes forget what I've shared. About a month or six weeks after the initial, I guess it's still the same war on um, against terror that, um, that the Bush administration announced after 9-11, there was an article in the, in the uh, used to be a wonderful column in the New York Times Magazine written by William Sapphire of Blessed Memory called uh, On Language. A tremendous, um, a tremendous weekly dive into um, Shorashim, but English Shorashim. It was beautiful to watch him write. And he noted the the he, what he thinks was an unintended double entendre of the name of that war. Like wars have names, like operate they have names attached to them, right? So they want to know the name of the initial, at least the initial name of the war against um, Afghanistan launched in October or November two thousand one. It was called Enduring Freedom, and he noted that what they probably meant by naming it that way was ongoing, long-standing freedom, may freedom endure. But endure also means to, to suffer, to, to, to be willing to endure, to tolerate. And he said that, that there might be something unintended and lyrical about the fact that by trying to impose our notion of freedom on those who see it differently, we might be asking them to endure freedom, enduring freedom. Some of that is built into Samech Bet Lamed. Lisbol means to just to to, to carry a burden like a porter does, as um, Marshall mentioned, and it also means to suffer underneath that burden. And it's built into the same root. But, but um, if I, maybe someone can think of an English version, an English word, Joel, that is similar to that, has the double meaning, maybe endure. Go ahead. Well, just it's not so modern, but it, suffer used to mean the same thing. To suffer fools means to tolerate fools. Right. Right, it's, right. When you use the word to suffer in that way, it's suggesting that you're tolerating them, although you'd rather not tolerate them. Right? Because actually, most people that phrase is, is is usually referred to people who will not suffer fools. Right? Who don't who don't want to tolerate them because they are intolerable. Tha, Rick, beautiful. Right, suffrage, great. I I forgot that word. Okay. Um, can we go into the Rashi? Everyone okay with that? Okay, uh, Larry, you want to read the Rashi now that you have collected all the Jews mirabak and fota aretz? Okay, I'm unmuted. Okay. So, uh, we're on verse 11, alav. Okay. Uh, so, on the people. Okay, so two-word Rashis are either really easy or really hard, right? So, so... The, the question one would ask on Alav is, who is the, who is connected to that preposition? Upon whom? And the reason why you have to, have to ask the question is because as we've been dealing with throughout these last two verses, the, the nation, which is a plurality of people, is being referred to by a singular noun. So Rashi resolves it by saying, Al-Ha'am, on the nation, on, on the nation, as opposed to, I don't know what. What's, hey, Boker Tov Natan. What, what, what what could have we call it in, in rabbinic thought a havamina? What, what, had it not been the people, what other singular object could have been connected to that preposition? If it's not Allah Am, then it's on whom? What is what notion does Rashi have to disabuse us of 
um, such that he says it's al ha'am. On a singular, Rick's saying on a singular Israelite, maybe that it would it's be hard to kind of um, create the story around that. If you look at footnote 10 in our, um, in our pagination, it says, Modienu shekem Rashi is telling us is that sometimes pshat is pshat. It just means exactly what it looks like it means, meaning whom, who was the recipient of this weight? the people, and not as it is drashed out, I would say, quite fancifully in Masechet Sota. And if you'll notice, it's the same page of Sota that we've been dealing with now. So if we were studying Talmud and not Rashi, we'd be focusing on this verse in the Talmud for a little bit. Shakol hakatuv midaber befaro. There's a Midrash in Rashi that says that this entire verse is related to Pharaoh, which would be strange, by Asimu Alav Saremi Sim, they would place upon him Pharaoh, um, ministers of, of, of tax, of burden. Shetalu Lefaro Mil, Mil, I think it's Milbain or Malbain, maybe um, Vera can help us, but Sabaro. Um, Vera, how would you translate that? What would be the best way to translate it? I, I can. Oh, okay. Um, sorry, which one? Tell me this again, number 11. Um, footnote 10. Do you have our book? Um, no, I have, I have a different one. Mem, what's the best way to translate Mem Lamed Bet Nun? Malben What did they hang up on Pharaoh's neck? Um, maybe something heavy made out of, like to symbol uh, suffering or make it heavy. Yeah, it, 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 seems, can be, it can be also milibo. No, there's a nun there. Right. It has something to do with the same word that means a brick, like a, like um, like the frame. A brick, the brick is levena. Right. So if you take the mem out, then it becomes lamet bet nun, like levena is a brick. But maybe it's it's a type of brick or something that is heavy and causing suffering. Right. So the dictionary says it's a brick mold. Right. So so if you keep reading, Shetalula Pharaoh Amalben or Milven Betsavaro, they put on a mold upon Pharaoh's neck. Kilomar, Dfus Shosinbo Halvenim, frame or mold from which you make the very bricks that the that the Israelites were going to be having to make. Why would the Israel why why would Egypt do that? Kadei Shalo Yomru Kolachad Mi Israel. So no one in Israel would say. Eastenis, Ani. I'm an Eastenis. Anyone know what an Eastenis is? Somebody that is very clean, takes um, particularly clean, neat, yeah. no dirt. Yeah. In, 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 in kind of... Delicate. What's that, Marco? Very, very... One who's very, very delicate. Almost like pampered. Correct. In halachic language, Eastenis is... You're an Eastenist to claim an exemption from something you'd rather not do. I remember first learning this concept um, in Hilchot Sukkot, right? That you're supposed to be able to sit in your sukkah, even in unpleasant weather, and at least say Kiddusha there and have your meal, unless you're an Eastenist. 
And he's, he's someone who has a hard time with, with temperature changes or who might get, you know, um, you know, it's like, it's like the princess in the pea who, if a, if a droplet of water falls down from a sukkah, that's going to ruin their experience. They're not going to be able to do it with samachta b'chagecha. They won't be able to enjoy it. And therefore they're exempt from having to do it. Right. So East and East is, is a, is a something you claim for yourself to get an exemption from something burdensome. Right. And sometimes it's legit, right? A legit East and East. A wuss. What's that? A wuss. <laughs> I don't know who said that, but okay. Oh, Matt. Okay. Um, so, um, so that Israelites would not say, hey, too much work for me. I'm an Eastinese. Omrimlo, they would say to him, klum Eastinesata. You're not delicate. You're not fancy. You're not a, a wuss. Um, Yoter mi Pharaoh, Pharaoh, who's used to living in this beautiful palace and never has to raise a finger. Even he's got that frame around his neck showing he's going out to work. Right? It's kind of a ridiculous midrash that Rashi's telling us saying, it's not that. Don't think, don't imagine for yourself that when they place um, these th- this burdensome set of obligations upon it, the or the him, the him is Pharaoh. That's the midrash and sota. I don't buy it. No, they place it on the people. Right? That's a long way of saying the verse means exactly what we think it means. Questions, comments. Larry, misim. Unmute. Okay. Misim, Lashon Mas, Sarim Shegovin Mahem Hamas, the Mahomas, Sheyivnu Arem Misgonot Lefaro. Okay. So, in the language of tax, or the, to, to the language of tax, um, the, sold, the, the ministers or overseers, okay, Shegovin, I, I don't know if it comes from Lahagiv or it comes from Gova. No. But I think it no. means they put on them. It comes from the, the root that means are, to collect. Legabot to collect. Like a gabai. Ligvot. comes from the verb ligvot. Okay. When you collect. So it's interesting that in, in kind of Jewish ritual practice, we have the word gabai for Michael Harris, as it were, right? The gabai of the minion. The original notion of the word gabai in Mish language language, Mishnaic language, is the person who would be assigned in the community to go around and be goveh, Sedaka to collect right. collect the money, and then that that appointed role got um, extended to tefillah, even though this is not really a, a collection. Although Michael, I guess, does go around with the sedaka box and is also govet sedaka, but it's now a term obviously used to also be just like a helper around the shul. Okay, so sarim shegovin mehem hamas. So the the ministers who collected from them the the tax, and what was the tax? That they built cities um, of Miskanot, we described, we discussed for Pharaoh, storage cities for Pharaoh. Right. So, what's the what's the shift in Rashi? What, why does Rashi have to ask this question? And Mahu Amas, and what is the tax? The tax is that they built these cities. What's the chiddush, or what's the problem in the verse that he's dealing with, such that he has to approach it this way, Matt? I'm just suggesting that maybe in his day there were actual taxes that they had to pay to the local authorities. And so he's explaining that this is not, you know, we have to give five francs every week to the count, but it's something different. Good. That this notion that a tax can be not only coinage and money, but labor, right? That you can, that what, you know, 
and we know that in, in ancient economies, as opposed to modern economies, that your person and the, and Masaya the work of your hands can be a form of payment, right? In fact, in reverse that you would some, in the, the notion of an indentured servitude, at least in some societies is that if you didn't have the funds to pay back your obligation, you could pay back with your, with your work. Right. And, Remember what Leonard shared with us last week that in early, early Hebrew, mas may not have been taxed. Leonard, remind everybody um, what, the, what else the word could mean. And a forced labor force. Right. So that wasn't me, but yes, that, I agree. <laughs> oh, I thought it was you and I thought it was you in your dictionary. No. That was that was Marshall last well, week. No, it wasn't me, my dictionary, but I wasn't the one who answered your question. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> You're a tremendous ventriloquist. You you uh, threw your voice all the way to Lindenhurst. Um, right. So once Rashi makes the decision to translate misim from the word mas, which he knows the readers associate with actually paying taxes, as opposed to what he could have done, which is translate the word to mean forced labor, he says, now we have a problem in the verse. What are tax collectors going to do? What's the relationship between a tax collector and a, and a foreman on a job, right? If if the people that were set up against um, the Israelites were Saremi Sim, right? You know, IRS accountants. How does that translate into Laman Anotobasiv Lotam? So then Rashi has to build a second bridge because he chose to translate it this way. He's got to build a bridge. Yes, they were tax collectors, and what and and the way this tax was paid was in forced labor. So can I make a so the dictionary says that it's a body of forced laborers. So instead of saying you owe me five francs, it's like you owe me five laborers. Correct. Correct. Larry. Uh, well, it seems to me to be very similar to a feudal system where the tax would be collected in terms of uh, the, the um, part of the crop or in the sharecropping system. And in the sharecropping system, in fact, you had uh, people who are responsible for, for for enforcing the payment of this tax, which would be equivalent to the rent, uh, and that's what these misim that's uh, these misim were, and that's what the what the overseers would be like. Right, and I think that again, this this hava amina that I think Rashi is trying to make us not think. Right, that's a hava amina. What what you might have said, but it's wrong. Hava amina, literally, what I would have said. Don't think of these as number crunchers. Right. Once I define them as Saremi Seem ministers of, of tax, you might think of them as number crunchers with with slide rules. No, they were they were set up to collect the tax and the tax would be collected in labor, in blood, in sweat, in productivity, which which is already the image that we have. And, and by the way, that's what gets tra- how is how are when you when, when someone's telling the story of the Exodus, whether you're Yul Brenner and Cecil B. DeMille or you're around your Seder. Um, table next week, we're going to say that the Egyptians set up what what upon the Israelites? Taskmasters. It's it's coincidental that that sounds like taskmasters, right? But we don't call them um, um, tax collectors, but taskmasters. And Rashi is building the bridge in the verse from Misim, which he's reading as tax, to this burden upon them. Barry, please. In, in in monetary taxation, um, some people, it's less burdensome 
for some and more burdensome for others, depending on how it's structured progressive-wise, uh, depending on one's yield uh, produce. But here, uh, everyone is equal. Everyone is just a laborer, regardless of what their produce is or their status in, in society. They are all building this, these structures. Hmm. Great. Thank you, Barry. Uh, Norm? It's not uncommon for governments to levy and allow substitutes to take the place of the person who's going. Um, as recently as 105 years ago in the Russian Empire, and I assume many other places, if you got a draft notice, you could get somebody else to go in your place. And similarly, with Pharaoh, if he says, I need, you know, three worker days, he doesn't care if one worker comes for the three days or if two workers come for or three workers come for one day, it's, it's just a function of how much time he's getting from the community. Interesting. So um, I thought you were going to make actually the exact opposite point, that if, if Moss is finances, then however the money comes in, the money comes in, doesn't matter if it's from you or someone else. If, the, if this individual tax is your personal human productivity, then you can't offload it to someone else because you will not have produced the mass. If the mass is your labor as opposed to the value of your labor, then there's no way to pawn it off. You were making the opposite argument. It has to be you, but if it's just he needs that much labor from you, if you can afford to get somebody else or somebody else volunteers to go in your stead, uh-huh. he doesn't care. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Got it. Um, yes, Diane, please. So... Uh, in, in contrast to that, because the verb used is used in the singular form for the people, it suggests that this was imposed on all the people, not that you could get out of it by, by um, having somebody go to their place, but that this is actually imposed on all the people. That, that, that's the impact of that singular, right? On the entirety of the nation, not on on. Individual. Of Interesting. Right. So you're using the singular to actually say this is not about individual, single individuals, but about the entirety of the nation. And if one of them is not producing, then that singular Allah would not have been played out properly. Right. And I just wanted to point out that even in English, this word people is, um, uh, is both singular and plural. Grammatically? Grammatically. I, yeah, grammatically. You can have a people, or you can have a person and people. Right. Like right now, the people are, as a plural. Not the people is, the people are confined to their homes. Right. But Jews are a people. And, and yeah. that people, you know, has a home in Israel. So that's singular. Right. And pearl. Right. It's right. both. Uh, uh, Rebecca. Yeah, I was just thinking there's the expression, um, this is so taxing, this work is so taxing, you know, that it's an expression of, you know, uh, exhaustion or physical, you know, some sort of physical uh, um, manifestation when you say this is taxing on me. Yes. Right. That, 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 that 
the double way in which mas may have been used then for financial tax and physical burden has, has found its way into English. Correct. Exactly right. Um, Larry, do you want to keep going? Sure. Especially since the next one is really interesting. Okay. So, Laman Anoto, this Sivlotam, and the only comment, on that, and then Rashi's comment is, Shal Mitzrayim. So, in, in order to oppress them or impoverish them um, in their burdens, and what Rashi says is, of the Egyptians. Right. So what's the shot of Rashi? How, how, does, how does that sentence make sense in Rashi's eyes? Well, I suppose that the, that the Israelite slaves are taking over the burdens of the Egyptians, in this case, to do the labor. Okay, so one way of reading it, which is, prob- is not the way most people read Rashi, but it doesn't matter. That's the way you're reading Rashi, is that their, their um, burdens means the Israelites are, putting, well, are, are being placed on the Israelite shoulders, the work that otherwise would have been done by Egyptian laborers, right? That's one way of reading it. What's another way of reading the pshat of Rashi? The simple meaning of what Rashi means, Barry? I'm I'm just with, with Larry on, on this uh, that uh, it, uh, the, the previous story just before this is the the Egyptians were burdened oh, yeah. by oh, Joseph. Yeah. Joseph had burdened all the Egyptians to to produce during the time of uh, a famine. Now they're switching the burden. Switching the burden. So you're you're agreeing with with Larry's reading it. Is there another? I know it's just a two word Rashi. Is there another way of reading the simple meaning of what Rashi means, Matt? I think you could say to to re, the the burdens that they already had, whatever they were. Meaning what? Well, I don't know. They 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 have to work for a living. They have to pay tax. I'm, 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 not, try again. I'm missing it. Okay. Uh, I, let me just check ahead. Well, just to be the burdens of the Egyptians. In other words, I guess that these are the, the burdens that the Egyptians are putting up upon them in addition to whatever burdens they already have. That's the second way of reading it, right? right. So the, Rashi's two-word, rather simple explanation diverges into two possible meanings, which leads us basically to the same place, but it's different grammar. One is what Larry and what Barry were saying, that, w- that in order to oppress the Israelites, it, the nation, with their burdens, with a burden which otherwise would have been upon the Egyptians to produce for their Pharaoh, because Pharaoh was not necessarily a benevolent king to his own people, right? Or in order to oppress it, the nation, with their burdens, the burdens that they were going to put on them, right? That the, their being Egyptians, these are Egyptian burdens, right? Even in English, Egyptian burdens can mean two things. Egy- burdens that the Egyptians are experiencing, burdens that the Egyptians are placing, right? And we, we both, we're, we're painting the same picture, right? The Israelites are working hard because of the Egyptians, but that, 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 um, that their um, word in the verse can be read in more than one ways. Um, 
And again, it plays on the fact that it, the, um, there's a super commentary in Russia called the Maharik, Rabbi Yosef Kolin or Kolon. Um, I forgot. I think it's from Italy, but not sure exactly where. Who says that this follows the pattern? I'll, re- I'll read. I'll read to you a, um, a tamsit of what the Maharik says from a different book. Hold on one second. Um, this is this is his commentary on Rashi's commentary. Al Lotam, by means of those of their burdens, Shel Mitzrayim, the Egyptian burdens. What does that mean? Shehu Hasevel, that is the burdensomeness, the 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 um, the weight, the Havodah, and the work, Hakasha, the hard work. Shehan Mitzrim Mitilim Alehem, that the Egyptians are placing upon them. Vechol Koha Amorkan B'Lashon Yachid. Musab al-Am Yisrael, every singular concept in these set of verses is referred to Israel. Alav, anoto, the word we're coming up in the next verse, vayivain, and they built, actually the next phrase. Vahamur b'lashon, and that which is written, b'lashon rabim, in plural, Musab is referring to al-Anshei Mitzrayim, the Egyptians. So we kept looking at the singular notion of the people. And it's a pattern throughout these verses that Israel is always referred to, at least by, according to this read in the singular, Egyptians are always referred to as um, in, in the plural. Uh, Larry, Larry and then Marshall. So I'd like to give a political economy read on Rashi's, um, on Rashi's commentary here. Please. It or not. Because the difference between the, the shot read that you give it and the interpretation that I originally had with, along with Barry is imagine that we're distinguishing between Pharaoh being part of the ruling class and the Egyptians being the Egyptian people. Pharaoh was never going to work to build these storehouses whatsoever. It would be the Egyptian working class who would have to do that. And instead they found a substitute, which were the Israelite slaves. So it's very similar to the relations, for example, between um, poor whites in the South during the um, pre-Civil War period, or even, well, even the antebellum period, and then the, the black slaves who took over not only the work, not only worked for the plantation owners, but to some extent took over some of the work that the, that the, um, the proletariat white would have, would have taken over. And to make an even greater leap that I don't expect anybody to accept, it would be also a distinction between labor and capital. There's labor saving capital, which unburdens workers. And then there's the sort of capital formation, which actually causes laborers to have to work even more and even harder. So that's a bit of a stretch, but there you go. I'm not sure it's much of a stretch. Um, I- I, want, I think I was on my flight back from APAC. I saw the movie um, Harriet about Harriet Tubman, right? Um, just yet, yet another extraordinary wrenching movie about the slave experience. Um, it's the kind of movie that uh, makes you feel ashamed of the color of your own skin. There's one scene in there where um, the, the, the movie does an extraordinary job of not making the slave owners actually sympathetic, but making, but making it clear why they thought of, they thought of one another sympathetically and how in that internalized in, in, in internal society, 
they had their own version of claims to why they needed to do what they were doing. Not so that the viewer has sympathy for them, but you, but you can, you have sympathy for how psychologically warped it was. Right. And where they're talking about what will happen if I forgot exactly what scene it was, where, where, where when Harriet goes or when her siblings go and they're, they're, they're reacting to the fact that if we don't have these slaves, then we're going to have to do that work. We're, we're, we're going to be our own slaves. We're going we're, we're gonna to have to do those burdens because we still have to produce. We still, we still have to pay, you know, pay, pay our own expenses. And if, if it's either their suffering or our suffering, and it, it's warped, but you almost hear the human being saying, well, if I have to choose between my suffering or their suffering, I'm going to choose their suffering. So what you're saying, Larry, is that the Sivlotam is indeed like it, it's, it's like a suffering transplant, right? Or a suffering transference that being placed upon the Israelites is the bone breaking, back crushing work that it were not on their backs. It would be on lower class Egyptians. I'm not sure that's what Rashi means, but I think it's a fascinating read of, this, of, of, of the political economy of the story. I think although I could just be convinced by the commentaries in Rashi that what Rashi means is the suffering that they, the Egyptians, put on them. This is my thought. Uh, hands, Barry? Barry and then Vered. Uh, the Sivlatam is plural, and Anoto is singular. So we're... We, we can't be referring to the, the plural burdens on it. So it, it's got to be the plural burdens of, of the Egyptians. They, they placed on it, the singular people, their plural yeah. burdens. Plur, plural. Yeah, plural, plural burdens. Yes, their burdens. Whose burdens? Not, not the, it, it's it originating, originating from the Egyptians. Right. So that's what, that's one way of reading that, of that phrase. Vered, uh, Vaksha. Vered, you're muted. Mute yourself. Loshomim Otach. Vered, Loshomim. Okay, sorry. It just takes me always a time. Um, <clears throat> I want to say that the Miskenot is a little bit different idea that I, I read about it is because those two cities were already built in the past. Oh, wait, but hold on, t- hold on. Rega, let, let's see that idea in Rashi, and then I want to hear what you have to say. But I, wanna, I, I don't want um, to to give, give the story away just yet. So, Rega, one second. Okay, okay. Um, Marshall, and then we're going to go back to Larry reading the text. I just wanted to go back to the beginning words of Rashi, where he says, me seen is Lashon Mas. So the question is, why doesn't he even have to say that? In, a, in the Gelbar Lifshu Toshal Rashi book, there's an interesting comment. We do not find throughout the entire biblical text, except here, the word mas, we never found the word mas in, the, in a plural sense. So therefore, if you look at the Targum of Unculus, he translates these, this word as sarei shiltonin mavishin, which can be translated as evil-doing taskmasters. We know the Hebrew word mem aleph sin, 
which sounds like mas, mm. is really ma'as, like meus, to be Great. disgusted with, to be fed up with. Great. Um, yeah. It's a wonderful uh, comment, Marshall, on a, for a number of reasons, including um, the, the tremendous challenge of how to create the modern Hebrew language from the biblical text. So even if the singular mas means tax, as Marshall pointed out, this is the only place in the Bible where it's pluralized into misim, which either means that is indeed the plural of the word mas, which is how it is in modern Hebrew, right? The plural, even though you could make the argument that the plural for mas should have been masim, the plural for mas in modern Hebrew is misim, or misim in the biblical um, text, which we have here, was never supposed to be the plural of the, of the singular mas, right? And then it might rather relate to the root mem aleph samet with the aleph missing. But when they came to modernize Hebrew, they said, ah, we have a word that looks like it is the plural of a single mas, and that's what it is. The plural of mas in Hebrew is misim. Um, okay, let's go to Larry. Let's keep reading on Aramis Kanot. Okay, Aramis Kanot, ketagumog, v'chein lechbo el hasochen hazeh. And there's a reference to Yeshiyahu mm-hmm. uh, there. Um, and then, Gizbar Hamemuna Al Haotzrot. So, first of all, okay, so it says, as, is in the, as in the the, um, the Tirgum, so I assume it's, he's talking about Onkelis there. Yeah. Yes. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to read that, although I think it's, is it Kirvei Beit Otsrei? Yeah, you, you know it more than you think you know it. Is there a Hebrew word you can think of, Larry, that is similar to Kirva? Like Kirya? Yeah, okay, Kirya, okay. So it's the, the Kirya is where the military, uh, I don't even know how to translate it, it's where the Kirya is where these, the, the high command of the Israeli military is. Right, and in the Pentagon. Kirya, Kirya is just a town or a village, right? right. Like Kiryat Gat, Kiryat Motzkin, right? right? So the way Onkelis translates the phrase, Vayiven Arei Miskinot. Treasury stays. Right. Uveno, they built. Interesting. Um, Onkelis pluralizes this, even though Rashi's at pains to keep it in, in the singular. Vayivain in Hebrew as and it built. Uvino is like Uvanu, and they built. So Uncleus turns it into the plural in his translation. Kirve, which is the Aramaic plural of the word that means a kirya, a town. Kirve, Beit Otsara. So what is to say that again, Larry? What would that mean? Cities of what? Treasury cities. Treasury cities, right? So Onkelos does not use the Aramaic translation of a root that is similar to Samach Kuf Kaf Nun Miskein Sachan to translate it. He says, no, whatever this word Miskein means, it happens it has to do with treasury cities. So Rashi says, that's what I think the word means. What I think the word means is what they built are places where um, stores of, of funds and, and, and important pro- produce and, and, and medical masks were kept for the federal society. But I'm bummed. Okay, go ahead into the Rashi. So then he goes on, V'chein lech bo el hasochen hazeh, so go, um, come to the, a sochen is a, 
is is a um, like insurance an agent. Right. Right. Everyone has a, an insurance sochen that is so, to that sochen, and I actually looked up the the Isaiah. I can't. I really don't know it, but it says Ko Amar Noi Elohim Sevaot Lech Bo El Hasochen Hazeh Al Shevna Asher Al Habayit. And my translation, or the translation I have here, is thus says the Lord God of hosts, go get thee to this steward, to Shevna, I have no idea who Shevna is, who is over the house. So, Steward's a great word. Steward is actually a great English word for that. So it's a rather obscure passage in Isaiah. It doesn't appear in a, in a Haftarah, so you would only know it if you were a student of Isaiah. That Isaiah is given this instruction from God to go to a dude named Shevna, who was some kind of a financial steward of the temple. Um, and he also, um, um, one, one of the ways of, uh, one of the commentaries here, Hora'at Adonai Lishayahu, Lemasor Leshevna. It's an it's a instruction of God to Isaiah to, to go over to Shevna. Hasochen Nibu'at Pur Anot Alav. In order to um, transmit to Shevna the prophecy of doom upon him, right? And who was this Shev- Shevna, according to Rashi, Gizbar? Treasurer. He was a treasurer, right? So let's build. Let's build the comment. We have a reference in Isaiah of the root Samach Vav or the root Samach Kafnun Sochein which we know in modern Hebrew means an agent. And who was this person back then, Sochein? Uh, what was, what, who was the Sochein? It was a guy named Shevna. He was the treasurer of Hamune al Ha'utzerot, who was responsible for all of the storehouses in the temple. So that role, at least in Isaiah's time, was referred to as a Sochein. So if Sochein is the one responsible for the storehouses, then a miskain can be the storehouses, right? Rashi is alert to the fact that we would otherwise be tempted to translate um, the word miskain from other um, other root forms that look similar. That look look similar, but it is not that. It has to do with storehouses, which means that even though Uncleus doesn't use the root to translate. Um, the phrase, he says, he just puts it into different language. Rashi says, there's actually a Hebrew word that works here. And it does go into modern Hebrew because a sochein in, in, in modern Israeli uh, society is someone who is, is a steward over something having to do with finances. Something to do with finances. Uh, comments, questions on that? Bye, Jeannie. Uh, who's hand? Uh, Andrew. Yeah, um, you know, I wanted to point out it. There's the. It seems to me like there's a tragic counterpoint to this Ari Miskanot that occurred not too many parakim ago. What this brings to mind to me is the last time the Torah mentioned the creation of special Arim, multiple cities where something was collected under the oversight of Paro. It was when Yosef was saving Egypt by telling them they needed to create special cities where food was to be, where the grain was to be stored. And now I feel like we're seeing this 
play out in a much different way, but instead of as a means of, it's about oppressing the descendants of the people who saved them. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is a, that is a great association that I not thought of. Right. And, and, and particularly when we were in the end of race sheet and we we're thinking about all of the jumps forward and the references, the imagery of, of the end of Yosef's life and how that's going to play out in, in Shmote, right? We, 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 we didn't mention that one. I'm glad you're mentioning it now, right? That um, store, storehouses to save the people, storehouses to oppress the very people who saved, who, who, who had been the saviors in the previous uh, narrative. Be- beautiful. Barry. Yeah, I, I, again, we're, we're, we're bookending the story, the previous story, Joseph and the Israelites on top, now we have a pharaoh and the Egyptians on top. Great. It's right. and, and, and once again, the undulation shift. Right? Joseph in the pit, Joseph up. Israelites down, Israelites up. Israelites up uh, because they're responsible for the tremendous treasury in the storehouses. Israelites being forced to produce the storehouses that will hold the treasury that they'll never have any access to. Great. Great. Um, okay. Uh, where are we? Any other hands that are up now? Okay. Um, you're almost done, Larry. You got, you got one more little, um, one more little uh, piece of this Rashi. And then after you read that, we'll hear Vera's comment from before, because now it's going to become relevant. Okay. okay. I'm ready for it. Okay. Et pitom ve'et Ramses, shelo hayu re'uyot, Mithila Lechach Vaasa Um Hazakot Uvitzorot Lotzar. So he's saying <clears throat> they didn't um I don't know what the Rayuta what what Rayot is exactly. Ready, appropriate, um ah, okay, Rui, 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 okay. So, um they weren't they weren't Ready from the beginning, they didn't. They didn't build. They didn't build them from the beginning, I guess. But they made and they strengthened, and they shaped. They shaped them for um, for treasure. Right. So, so you've got the words exactly right. That were without Rashi explaining. This is how Rashi often works. Why he's saying what he's saying, because he, he he believes that we're going to follow his line of presumptions. What does it mean to say they built Pitum and Ramses? That they, meaning these cities, Pitum and Ramses, had not been ready for this purpose yet. What purpose? To be a storehouse city. And so in this project, Asa'um, they made them, meaning the Israelites made them, Chazakot, strong, Uvitzurot, and fortified, Lootzar, to be a, 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 a garrison, a place where the nation's riches could be stored. What's, what's the assumption that is driving this comment by Rashi. It only makes sense if you have what assumption? That they were not, uh, they were not originally for storehouses, fort- fortifications. Right. And, uh, okay. We're cl- and that the close. locations existed beforehand. They existed beforehand. But right? more than that, that Rashi knew that. That Rashi, oh, oh. somehow Rashi knew the archaeology that I can't even imagine existed at the time. Right. Okay. He may, he may have known that archaeology, Let's say what he's not saying, or let's say what he's saying we shouldn't think. Don't think that this verse means that in this initial process of the Egyptians oppressing the Israelites, 
what got built out of the sand? Hitoman Ramses. Like, uh, what's that, what's that um, <clears throat> planned Palestinian city in the Shomron, um, Rawabi, right? It didn't exist. And um, under Salam Fayyad's leadership, uh, this notion of, of trying to bring the Palestinians out from their misery with economic uplift. Let's build a city out of nothing. Nothing existed before. We're not going to start with a village. We're building a city, Rawabi, right? It's still in process. Don't think that that's what this is, that there was an empty part of Egypt where nothing existed. The Israelites were sent there to build some, something out of the sand. What came out was Pitom and Ramses. It's not that. It's that Pitom and Ramses existed on some level. What they didn't exist for was being a storehouse city. And the Israelites were doing the hard labor to do a, um, what would Ofer call this, Sue? Like, a, you know, a, a rebuild, right? Not, not building from scratch, but a, um, a renovation. They renovated the cities to make it into, be worthy of storehouses. Now, you might think, how did Rashi know the archaeology? He may have known the archaeology. He also may have known the book of Breshit. Um, open up if you have um, a, a full chumash to Breshit 4711. Speaking of ways in which um, the end of the book of Breshit presages the, big, the beginning of the book of Shemot. Look at 4711. Who's got it in Hebrew? Who wants to read it out loud? Natan. Vayoshev Yosef et Aviv vetehav vaiten lahem ahuza be'eretz mitzayim v'meitev ha'aretz. So pause. So when the Israelites, so when Joseph's brothers come after the union, he settles them, his father and his brothers, in the Metava Aretz, in the best part of the land of Egypt. And what was the best part of the land of Egypt? Beretz Ramses, in the, in the area of Ramses, where Pharaoh had commanded. So we did mention it back then. We didn't linger on it. That, um, and, and, and Toba is going to share something, I'm sure, in a second. That Ramses as a name, potentially named after uh, for the Pharaoh, already exists in the Torah, and so since Rashi assumes that we're going to remember that, Rashi is going to assume we're going to be befuddled as readers. What does it mean that they built Pitom and Ramses? At least one of those existed. I know that from Parshat um, Baigash, um, right? I, know, I, already, I already know that. So Rashi says, ah, both Ramses, which is mentioned in Parshat Baigash, and Pitom existed. They just didn't exist for this purpose. And therefore, the way that the Israelites were put to the task was to make these cities into something they hadn't been before now. Toba, please, and then Barrett. Hope you're muted. Let me unmute you. Okay, go ahead. Start again. Okay, from an archaeological point of view, there is evidence of a territorial an area in the Delta that was referred to as Ramesses earlier that may have been associated with the family, the dynasty that later becomes the 19th dynasty. But we know that Ramesses II built a new city called P. Ramesses uh, in the Delta that was his, that was the capital of Egypt during his reign. Hmm. Uh, And so there's, there's sort of a confusion, if you will, between that city that we know he built and an area territory called Ramesses that existed earlier. Great. And Vered, now what you were going to say before, and then I'm going to have one last comment on this before we end. Go ahead. Helped me. Okay. 
It's actually, I'm going to say that Ram says the name is built on a Hebrew root, which is Reish Samech Samech. And I read that it's in Masechet Sota, uh, which Rashi brings, and it says, Lama Nikrash Maram says, why was it named Ramses? Because Rishon Rishon Mitroses. So the bricks that they built weren't holding and they were falling apart. And it was a mediocre city, a mediocre build. And now the task is to take this city that is actually falling apart and you have to make it as a fortress. So the work that you have to invest in it it will cause suffering. This is a very, very difficult task to take something that is not holding, that is falling apart, and now you have to build it as a fortress to such an extent that the Gizbah will come and collect money from a city that has to be uh, a storage place, and it actually it's not holding it, it's just falling apart. Great. Right. So the rabbis love to play Hebrew verbal games on roots that are, are almost certainly not from that root. So you could you, you that's a, a, a play on Ramses from the Hebrew root Rasas to be that, that the that the that the bricks were not built well. Last comment in this sometimes in a Talmudic argument, the um, like a, a rabbi will 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 put forth what seems to be a, a far fetched reading of a text and then go back into the text and say daikaname that if you really read closely the original language you'll see that this interpretation which is far fetched is actually built into the structure of the sentence so some people say that on Rashi's comment here that there's a difference between what we have in the Torah vayivain they built these storehouses kama et pitom and at ramses the difference between that and how the Torah could have been written, Vayivain et Pitom be Ramses. They built Pitom and Ramses. If the Torah had said they built Pitom and Ramses, there'd be no way of understanding it other than they built them from scratch. But since the Torah wrote, they, it, it I know singular, built these cities of storehouses, almost like a colon or a semicolon. Which ones? Yeah, they made Pitom and Ramses, which you all know what they are, into these storehouses. That because the sentence is structured that way, the notion of uh, of reading it says they already existed, which probably matches the, the history, makes some sense. It didn't say they built. What did they build? Peter Maram says. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.